This episode is dedicated to the memory of Alan. Welcome among the royalists. I am joined again by Dan from Phoenix Games Club. Thank you. I always wanted to record uh, a show dedicated to each of the individual clubs in London. You are number two, things are taking a long time, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I will see who's number three. But it would be as nice if it was just you. No, it's not just me. I've brought uh, a couple of our new members along, or newer members along. My name's Steph, and I've been playing in Phoenix for about a year or so. I'm 23. We're also joined by Odyssea, right? Yeah, Odyssea. Have you been uh, for a long time at the Phoenix Games Club? Not a very, very long time. It's been slightly less than a year. But yeah, no, I enjoy playing the few games that I get to play here and now. My schedule's a bit weird, but it's nice to be able to play. I must praise you for your mastery at holding the microphone. That's something I'm desperate to have people do properly. <laughs> and, and you do so just the way it should be. Because of that, I'm going to ask you the traditional question of the show, which is, in your own word, if you were running into someone who is curious about tabletop RPG but has absolutely no clue of what it is, how would you describe what is tabletop RPG? Well, it's funny that you asked that question because that has happened to me four times this week. So <laughs> You got some practice, that's perfect. Only slightly. I don't know, I tend to go, if they ask about a particular game... I tend to go into detail about what I know about the game. So if they ask about D&D, well, I said, it's like a fantasy adventure where you role-play and then you have to do math. <laughs> But role-play, what's that thing? Role-playing is pretending, it's playing pretend in a slight way, to be someone else in a different world. But you're also yourself and the way you think can influence how the character you play thinks. But the character can be its own entity. It's kind of funny in that way. Usually when you tell people that their next question is, also, is that that thing where you dress up? Uh, <laughs> no, that's live action role play, um, which some people do. I have not engaged in that. Yes, Dan, I see you waving over there. <laughs> But no, I haven't done um, LARPing. Maybe one day. But I'm quite content to play around at a table because I'm into drama and theater and things like that. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it's that kind of influence as well that Ste comes in. Steph, do you have anything to add to that definition? Yeah, I try to sell it from like a professional point of view. So I always say it's really good to role play for like interviews where you have to go and role play and when you have to solve problems and it teaches you how to work in a team because you often have to fight for the same side in a game. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes you gang up on one member of the party. But, like, my dad came in once when we were playing at my house, and we were playing Fifth Ed D&D, &D, and my dad was like, what were you doing? Yeah, what is this? What are you doing? And then when I kind of described it to him, he was actually feeling better and more positive about it than the kind of playing that my brother does, which is very traditional 
now on a PlayStation or an Xbox and he just sits in his room all day and doesn't speak to anyone. He's like, you're actually with a group of people and you're talking about things and you're interacting with the outside world. So yes, I think it's really positive for your own development, I think, like role-playing, even though it looks like we're all just trying to fight a dragon in a dungeon sometimes. Then I usually go with the it's like your favourite book or movie and the games master, dungeon master, storyteller, call them what you will, is the director, the producer, the special effects team and the support cast. And your players are the stars of the show. They can do whatever they want within the, the confines of the game world. And the, the narrator tells the story that they interact with. He's responsible or she's responsible for the plot, the story, and where, where the game ultimately goes. So um, Vexel is a tiefling bard. She's not middle-aged, probably a couple of years before it. Relative shoulder length, red hair, with horns that kind of like come up and kind of head kind of around. She doesn't look like she's had a lot of sleep of late, but she doesn't seem like she's on the verge of like insanity as she did previously. She kind of tends to wear worn leathers that look like they've seen a lot of travel. You get a, a message on the ley line from, oh, I suppose the Archmage would be the most likely person to contact you, going, um, I've got a job that I kind of need some help with. I need you to go to Santa Cora. There's something weird happening. Wait, wait, he's asking me. Yeah, I'm asking. I mean, no no random teleport out of where I'm sitting, just kind no, of, oh, No, no, the, Arch- hey, the, Ar- the Archmage the actually turns up in your sitting room. I'm not the Elf Queen, I don't do random teleports, I'm the Ark. Need I remind you what happened last time you summoned me? I was in a bar, drinking, and suddenly I'm in a tower across the world. Oh, by the way, I need you to do this. That's why I came to ask. <laughs> okay, you know. well, uh, I mean, thank you for, like, actually... did you, you did use a door, right? No, he did teleport in. There was a... There I, was a you felt the flux of the magic and... Well, <laughs> I suppose it's a start. I mean... Well, it's not like your house is warded. Well, I mean, maybe I should start looking into that to stop people just being like, oh, by the way, I'm just in your sitting room. Have you not heard of knocking first? It's common decency. The fate of the world might rest, you know, might, might be in the it, balance The fate here. of the world always rests in the balance. And upside down ziggurats are totally a thing. Uh, I mean, that's a new one. Yeah, well, that's why you need to get to Santa Cora, like, yesterday. Apparently... It's something to do with the High Druid and the Lich King. Don't worry, I've got people there that will brief you. You need to head to the Temple of Moraquindi. Okay, well, I can free up my weekend. (laughs) You haven't got a choice. As I said, I can free up my weekend. Good. Okay, um, yeah, I will head to Santa Cora then. Okay, um, you two are both in the Temple of Moraquindi. Santa Cora is dominated by the cathedral. The cathedral is a massive shard-like building that points up into heavens, and there are temples all the way through it. The Temple of Moraquendi is... For, for a temple dedicated to a goddess of death, it's a bit drab and dreary. It's lots of black and lots of bones and lots of kind of... That's traditional, right? It's traditional, yes. new age. Um, the effigy of Moraquendi, a beautiful elven woman stands at the far end in the Holy of Holies with the altar in front. So, John, do you care to describe your character, please? Who are they? Called Sheil. 
six foot six human, built like a tank, wears black armor with uh, is it a silver ankh? Yeah, silver ankh. Which is apparently icon of Morikwendi. Yep. A bit doer and sort of glowers at people, but when you get to know him, he's actually quite nice. He's just a bit driven. <laughs> You're on your way to the meeting. You pass via the portal circle room. We pass that room. It's all dead and dreary with dripping candles, all black with skulls. Maybe the portal itself is in the mouth of a very yeah, large yeah, yeah, skull. Like a, like a dra- dragon skull. <laughs> My character is a white dragonborn, but unlike most dragonborn, he's very slender. He's wearing robes, which might have been black at an age, but they're really, really worn out. So now they're kind of fading, almost light grey. There's indeed also the symbol of Morag Quendi in his back, a big ankh. Maybe it's been soon back at some point because it's still quite silvery. He's got some uh, rather longer, what do you call that? Kind of, you know, dragon tendrils. Fu Manchu. Not actual moustaches. Kind of like the um, Chinese beards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he's playing with them as he's discussing with Shield and says, Oh, look, it seems we have a, a visitor coming. Yeah, they always appear in a big flash. We should really put some guards on that. Well, you know, Shield, worst case scenario, we can do something about it ourselves. Wow, this place is... Well, um, it's like they took one of those gothic novels and then used that as a painting scheme and made Yeah, everything is black, shades of grey, occasionally highlighted with white. How many shades of grey? Many shades of grey. <laughs> All, All the shades of grey, from charcoal grey through to pale grey. Welcome. I think I have overheard you are here to consult of very well-furnished gothic novels library. Oh, uh, yes. So, um, let's say I read a lot, and this seems, like, very stereotypical. I hope you're not here to any kind of uh, light bondage reading. I mean, we don't I'm have not, this I'm sort of things here. If that's what you're <laughs> I mean, I'd love to redecorate this place, because it could really use with a splash of anything colourful. <laughs> don't use that word in here. <laughs> a heretic. Yeah, I freeze. My Fumanchu goes straight. <laughs> um, but no, 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 no. I'm sadly here for business. Uh, you wouldn't have to know who the abbot is. We're oh. on our way to see him this very moment. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess he's a busy person. So uh, I'm just going to follow you and hope that goes to the right place. However, if we get lost, then I'm sure we can kind of... Don't jump. worry. Each floor is grey-coded. <laughs> <laughs> the higher you go, the more sacred it gets and the blacker it gets. You make your way through assorted corridors. You actually do pass through the main sanctuary, which is actually quite well lit. I mean, like... So proper, <laughs> proper, no, there are, like, proper sconces in the walls. I mean, it has got a sort of slight dirge of a sort of funeral home about it. And there are gentlemen in hooded to black robes swinging silver censers. The torches, they don't burn red. They burn kind of dull white. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, how do you think the acolytes here have ever wondered, kind of like, as they're kind of going through their training, you know, kind of like, are we the bad guys? <laughs> like, I mean, it doesn't exactly do one for the image, just having everything in various shades of... Is that a skull over there? <laughs> there are, there are, there are, there are, there are 
there are lots of skulls. The wall is kind of made of bones. There are skulls. There are arm bones like bones. It's definitely screaming for the betterment of mankind. The sheer amount of skulls and death. Moroquendi, she is the warm embrace of death. The statue at the far end is of a strikingly beautiful elven woman, black lipstick, raven black hair, black lace top, flowing black skirts, and lots of of silver jewellery. I wouldn't worry, there's nothing uh, screaming around it, well at least not at this great level. (laughs) Well, there is an upside, because she's the warm embrace of death, we're not going to be freezing to death in the least place. Well. (laughs) (laughs) As you said that, I I blow from my dragon board moth a little cloud of frost. uh, (sighs) Well, I feel I've been lied to. (laughs) Coming out of one of the side chapels comes a man in quite ornate black robes with fine silver stitch. Ah, brothers, it is good to see you, yes. Ah, you must be the promised help. Well, I mean, that's one word for it. The Archmage sent you, I believe? Yes, 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 he did actually send me this time. Ah, good. Yes, we have a small issue, the ziggurat. Small Uh, issue that is that the fate of the world depends upon. Well, it's something from a bygone age. The ziggurat is something that is was blessed by a, a potent person who has links to the High Druid, but it seems that the Lich King has somehow got things involved, and for once the Lich and the Druid are both in agreement this ziggurat needs to be removed. It is currently hovering Wait, okay, over, over the inner sea, but is moving slowly towards the Wildwood. Hold back a second. So... The Lich King is saying, oh, this is terrible, we should remove it. Yes. Okay. Isn't he also the person where we normally don't listen to what he says? For reasons better be known to the icons and the gods themselves, it has been mandated and I have consulted with others and had it corroborated by the goddess herself. I turns towards Sheil and I don't say anything, but my mouth forms the word, shut up, it's divine. <laughs> I was understanding there was meant to be a fourth, a member of the Elven royalty, a Let me guess. Melisander? Okay, um, I clearly don't know Millie as well as I do. She's always late. Fashionably late, then? Not always fashionably late, but As long as she's late. not the late Melisander. Well, she will be eventually. We all will be. Ah, uh, but High Elves live a considerably longer time than us mere mortals. I regret not bringing drums right now. Even for those things, uh, Elves tend to be late. Wow. She'll show up eventually, and uh, probably like the when we least expect her. So, well, if you need to do research and stuff, you are welcome to make use of the Temple Library. Just one minor question. Yes. What are the books made of? Leather, vellum. Okay, I, I just wanted to say. <laughs> Steph, what was your very first experience of tabletop RPG? Probably D&D. At university, we had a tabletop society, and I started going because it was an idea that I really wanted to implement across our university. So I started attending their meetings, and they played that very traditional, like, kind of easing into roleplay. Things like Werewolf and Monopoly and very table, like very traditional tabletop board games. 
And then there was one week that they were going to do a D&D. And I was like, I'm not interested. That's not what I'm about at all. I don't, I don't think I'd enjoy it. And I just kind of came on a wimp to the session anyway. My friend was leading the session, so I was like, I can't really let him down. I'll turn up just for support. I rolled this random character, had no idea what I was doing, basically. And then played him the next session, and I was like, this is amazing. Let's do this every day. Um, and then, yeah, played D&D for about a year and then got introduced to Phoenix where we kind of played different varieties of games. Odyssey, did you have a similar entry point to the hobby? I mean, I had heard about D&D before, but my actual introduction to it was watching a game online being played. Okay. So there's a game that's played every week on Twitch And the campaign's been going for years now, and I've been following it along, but that introduced me to the mechanics of D&D, how it's played, the things you can do and not do and overdo. Which is it? Because we, we can plug other shows. <laughs> I mean, I do it all the time. So Okay, so that show is called Critical Role. Never heard of that one, <laughs> ever. You've not heard of Critical Role? <laughs> I, I think I was. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I watched Critical Role pretty religiously and that's where a lot of my information came and I had friends who were like oh my gosh we should play like critical role players and it's like okay so who's gonna DM <laughs> crickets <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up being the DM I didn't know anything about how to actually DM apart from watching wow. someone and it was a lot of fun and everyone was like this is great we should keep doing this but times organizing is difficult but it's really fun do you remember what you first dm what was the the first adventure did you made it up did you i made it, it up because i intended it to be a one shot but then everyone was like can we keep playing these as this i'm like okay <laughs> i have to keep making things up now <laughs> that's fine <laughs> but It's fine. We haven't played that many sessions, but the ones that we have managed to get together and play are fine. And then I met another person in real life who played D&D and was a dungeon master. So I was like, okay, I don't have to work now. <laughs> <laughs> I get to just play. And the first game I played was with Seth. So they had already been running a game, but the first game I got to play in was with, yeah, It's funny because most of the people I know have been players before being game masters and usually they become game master because at some point there's no game master around so they pick up the game master ring because it's easier to recruit players and <laughs> find a game master. But uh, how did it feel that first game as a... You know, when you start game mastering and you go back as a player, you're a bit like... Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, he's doing it like that. Oh, we would have done it a bit differently. Uh, you know, you, you, you've got these thoughts. You, you cannot help it. Did you have this sort of thinking? Or? No, I actually didn't because it was an entirely different thing. We we're playing an entirely different game. I was jumping into a game that was already in session. So I was trying to work my way into figuring out who the characters were. And my mind was very occupied. And I didn't mind what the Dungeon Master was doing. I was like... Ah, I need to... Is it my... Okay, I can, I can do this. This is how this character works. Okay. It's fine. Was I'll it some D&D or so? Yeah, it was D&D. It was... We were playing Out of the Abyss, which is a great thing to start with. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're still playing Out of the Abyss. We are. 
technically yeah. still playing. I played it for a while, a bit of trouble because I thought it was sold to me as being very sandboxy with a lot of freedom, <laughs> and I find you, you it's, which is fine in itself, but you, you don't actually have a lot of choice. Please. Till level six, and uh, yeah, I left the table around level four, and the game master told me, no, no, but from level six, it becomes very different. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I love you, man, but now, no, no. I think I made it to level 11 in Out of the Abyss, and I missed that character so much because I figured her out. And I was like, okay, I know how she works. I know her trajectory. But then we had to time and things got a bit... What was your character? I was a tabaxi bard called Nori, who had a nice family before it got obliterated by a wizard. <laughs> and don't laugh, it was very traumatizing. <laughs> yes. But we've all heard the story. <laughs> yes, so um, we managed to anger a wizard who gave us a time limit to return his stuff, and we did not complete it, so my family got meteor swarmed to death. I feel like we got kind of a Russian situation or Citizen <laughs> Kenya because I feel like Steph's got a very different version of those events. No, I just don't remember any of that. <laughs> a wizard? A tower? She's, I think she's erased him from memory. Um, I um, started the game as not a vengeful paladin and uh, there's a hit list now. There's, there is a hit list. So I was uh, playing quite a nice paladin, I thought. <laughs> and then we managed to break into this wizarding tower. And it just had loads of stuff in it. And the wizard was, like, suspended in, in air. And I was like, cool, we'll just take his stuff. <laughs> and then we'll just go, we just got to go. And then he sent, like, a person. Yeah, he did that. And then they read a letter. They were like, you need to return it by ABC. And I was like, um, I'm going to kill him. And then, <laughs> and then everybody was like, you can't kill him. He's literally like a level 17 wizard. And I was like, no, nah, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> but like, we spent half of the stuff already by then. It was too late to go back. So then my family got erased from memory. I believe your family was reverse, your mansion was reverse gravity yeah. and then placed back down and then meteor swarmed. Yeah, yeah, there was that extra added level of gravity in it. And then I was like, it's probably fake, right? <laughs> and they were like, no, I think your family's dead. Uh, and then like a week went by or something and then Odysseus' family got swiped from history. But we, we stopped it in time for the third person's family to get swiped in history. We had been attempting to pay him back. Like, there was a caravan. It was a caravan coming, but it just got delayed by a day. And it was a day too late. And so I received a letter of my family, who was a roaming tribe of nomads getting meteor swarmed to death. <laughs> <laughs> so, Odysseus first game with Steph and last game with Steph ended up in a bit of a disaster because it just tend to railroad any kind of logical decision that we make and just just go nah we'll just kill him instead and then my DM has to be like you're not actually vengeful paladin and I'm like yeah okay but we're gonna kill him right and he's like you can't make a hit list that is really against your oath um, Aren't you like a devotion paladin? Yeah. Doesn't your god like read books or something? 
I was like, I'll be like a really like studious paladin. I'll just depend on the library of any paths that we break into, it'll be fine. The library is a, a pièce de résistance of gothic library. Dark wood bookcases, black leather-bound volumes. Um, again, beautifully lit, lovely uh, frescoes of Moroquendi and scenes from her story. Hmm. The end fresco has Moroquendi with her arms open and welcoming the deceased into, into her eternal rest. This is the famous story where Mora Quendi welcomed in her arms the orphans. This one shows you uh, <laughs> about I mean, the wait, widows wait, of Mora Quendi. Roll back a sec, where she welcomes the orphans. Yes. Yes. Were, they, did they go there naturally or were they sent there? Well, they went there just after Willingly? they orphaned. Willingly? Well... I believe that it was the only escape from the onrushing barbarian horde. The hordes of the Orc Lord, which flood down annually in the summer when the campaign season is high, and dash themselves against the northern wall. Where we apparently leave all the orphans. <laughs> <laughs> I put my finger to my mouth, thinking, and I'm like, well, I didn't hear any complaints. <laughs> <laughs> May I help you? Yes, we're looking for everything you have upon an upside-down pyramid. From an earlier age. You know, yes. asking for a friend. Please wait here. The dour looking librarian, slightly pointy ears, maybe a half elf. Again, dressed in black robes with a silver belt and the, the unker around He's not a half elf, he sharpens his ears. <laughs> That's really odd. So, um. We, d we don't discuss the. the the habits of Trevor. Yeah. <laughs> we, do, we, we don't talk about the librarian. So I have to ask, what's the kind of like turnaround time for the librarians are here? A short while later, he comes back with a large leather-bound <laughs> volume. Phew. But he's been the librarian for as long as you guys can remember. It's a very stable employment. Isn't that kind of like, you know... You might not want to say that quite so loudly. <laughs> it's a library. Yes. It's Silence in the library, please. Silence is... Sadly, the fate of the world hangs in the balance. There is the histories. Thank you. Is there anything else, madam? You don't have to do food and drinks here, do you? This is a library. What do you think? You asked. I can see that refreshments are our board, but the gift of knowledge should be sweet sucker for anyone's trying to save the world. Okay. Actually, in the library of our goddess, it would be welcome to compensate the sweet knowledge with some black and dark beverage. I'll go and put the kettle on. <laughs> Thanks, Trevor. I'll sort of shuffle off. I mean, nothing ventured, nothing gained. I'm going to have, have a look for any mention of this cigarette. Um, just read the present threat bit. Huh. <laughs> it, was, it was once a flying temple to all good-souled sun gods. How many good-souled sun gods do we have? One, Zuriel. So you were saying this used to be uh, the place of... Uh... Uh, yeah, essentially, um, it used to be a big temple which was uh, kind of venerating the... Tw I believe they at the time they called it the 12 aspects of the sun god. Oh, that sounds dreadful. Oh, to you, maybe. Um... <laughs> I think it would hurt my complexion. Why would you want to worship the sun? 
Because it brings life and makes things grow, I guess? I don't quite follow you. Morrowind does have links to Mother Luna and assorted other moon-related deities. Ah, okay, then it's fine, I guess. So, it flew around as a symbol of the Empire's ability to improve upon kingdoms that had come before. Which, of course, is why the Lich King's pissed off with it. Oh, the Lich King attacked it at some point. Well, I guess he's expecting us to do it for him now. Well, I mean, if something's going wrong, then let's be honest, he probably caused it. It's always a wizard's fault. Your but... tea. Ah, thank you, thank he you. He puts a, a silver tray down with um, small bowls with a dark liquid. So, the Lich King did attack it. It overturned all of the defenders. However, there was a minor setback. One of the Lich King's generals was a druid... So, in haste to mount the assault on Sunlit, they'd been slain and richly prepared but not properly searched. They were carrying an artifact that was called the Seed of New Life. As people were on, you know, up there smashing things up, the seed grew. This is probably why the Lich King wants it gone now. So, what's our purpose in all of that? I lost the track. I believe our purpose is that um, these two godlike entities have said, we want this gone. Here, mortals, go and sort this for us. So we're going there to destroy that place? Apparently, yeah. I mean, I thought you all hated sun gods, so you should be, you should guys should be down with that. Well, I just want to make sure we do the right thing. Yeah. We wouldn't want to destroy the wrong floating citadel, now, would we? I mean, how many... F- oh, wait, we know another floating citadel. I mean, beside Horizon, how many other floating citadels do we know? Do we know? I'm just saying... You know, there might be ten a penny from where you are. And there aren't many here, obviously. Okay, so... Yeah, so we expect undead, but undead which aren't undead. God. <laughs> oh, you know. we need to go to that place <laughs> with haste and make an end to that. Do we turn them into undead, back into undead first and then kill them? Or do we make them not undead at all? Well, I would prefer to try to convince of how bad their ways are and ill advice and hopefully we won't have to send them to Moraquendi. Perhaps if they kill themselves, Moraquendi might forgive them the heresy. Minor aside, which might be, you know, a little important. So this thing's been um, seeding the areas it for travels and which replaces life with uh, some kind of weird mutation of life and death. Oh, we need to fly there. And, uh, yeah, we'll find what's the best way. Um, you know how important it is for me. It's not about, oh, they married past the river. It's about whether or not it's their time to do so. Wouldn't want to go too soon or too late. No. We should probably go and stop it. Yeah, let, let's go. The only problem is, how are you going to get onto the ziggurat? Well, we shall ask the abbot. Does he have any magical means of getting us there? <sighs> He says the portal network will not get you there. Okay. You would need either a potent wizard... <clears throat> Who's late? Cough, cough. Cough, cough. <laughs> late, yes. Could we not use the uh, secret steam zeppelin that's uh, undergoing repairs? You mean the one that the Dwarf King had built for the Temple of Moroquendi? That's the one, yes. The one with the Gatling cannons and the, and the grappling ropes that hasn't flown in at least 30 years. That's the one. And he's, and he's kind of under in permanent maintenance. That's the one. Yeah, that one. No. <laughs> it's in maintenance. If I were to use a personal with the Dwarf King, could we? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Yeah, go on. Why not? You've got a story with the Dwarf King. Uh, no, that's a personal, I believe. Swells a six. It's good enough. There's a 
well, a little scrying window, and the dwarf king goes, Hey, you called me, Vexel! Yes, um... So, what can I be doing? Well, we were talking, and we happened to notice that there was a this large undergoing uh, maintenance airship of yours. Hey, the steam galley! I don't suppose we could borrow it for a bit, you know, just go for a little ride. Oh, like I say, it's been in maintenance. You don't need those death cannons and grappling irons, do you? I mean, they'd be good to use, but mostly you need to get somewhere. We mostly need the flying. Yeah, the flying bit. All right, the flying thing. Um, yeah, all right. Um, give me two minutes. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> um, clank, bang, clank, clank. Head down to the hangar and talk to my engineer. Um, I think there's something wrong with it, but he reckons a good hit from the hammer will uh, sort it out. Oh, you might want to borrow this. Oh, all right. Thanks. So his arm goes through this crying <laughs> thing. His arm comes through the portal and the hammer is indeed large and golden. It is pointed at one end and has a large head with the Dwarf King's symbol, the mountain symbol, on, on the head. Oh, oh, ah, you need to say, by the power of my hammer, repair. Okay. When you strike it. The window pops back up briefly and then closes again. I don't think I've ever, like, repaired something by smashing with a hammer. Aye, it's the Dwarven way. Go and talk to Angus down in the hangar bay. Well, shall we? Yeah, yeah. Just lead on. Let's proceed to medium grey level. <laughs> That's where the anger is. So, Dan, different generation. Back when you started and back when I started, there were no critical role. There were no nope, internet. No, there, there was nothing. Uh, it was find your nerd mates at high school. I think my first encounters with role playing were through being having the hand me downs from my uncle who had a, a vast collection of fighting fantasy books. Uh, that's the way of the older generation fighting. I've heard that from so many people. That was my initial introduction. Sat as a 10, 11, 12 year old in my bedroom with literally a couple of dice and a shelf of books. Then when I was at high school, I discovered Discworld GURPS and Vampire the Masquerade. A lot of talk, but nothing ever actually got run. So it was it w- the 90s. There was no D&D in fashion. It was no, exactly. AD&D from a decade yeah, before. Exactly. And 3.5 oh, was not yeah, a decade not a thing, later. Yeah. Nothing. So I think it was, wasn't until I went to uni and discovered... Well, I think my, my very first session was a... Um, was it? It might have... No, it was a D&D. We did one session of D&D, 3.5. I then got roped into someone's homebrew aliens game okay and then the session after a couple of sessions after that vampire the masquerade which i played for a good year solid before deciding to enough with this i'm gonna write my own stuff and run my own stuff chicago by night or no it was um a fictional city in a pseudo england slash america place where we could get it was very loosely defined. Okay. But it was a lengthy campaign. I got involved in Hunter the Reckoning. My first character was an innocent, someone who has an encounter with the supernatural and completely loses it, completely freaks out, has no superpowers and is mundane as they come. He died horribly at the hands of a vampire. My second character in that campaign was a defender, someone who can lock things down. He was a museum curator. So that, that was my sort of 
history and introduction into role playing. A rather good one. So yes, I think that's the other thing, like the generation gap. You know, you've got shows like Community and obviously Stranger Things who are like pushing D&D to the far from of pop culture. Stranger Things was our life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Stranger Things was our life. But I suppose for the younger generation of role players, Big Bang Theory, Supernatural. I mean, for us, it was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And it's similar to Barbie Jean, Supernatural. I don't know. I'm making probably making an assumption and probably an incorrect <laughs> oh, assumption. But I, I, I know there's a supernatural RPG out there. I definitely know there yeah. is a, a. So it's not not hard to imagine that. And I think Fire, you know, Fireflies. Yeah, there's a Firefly RPG. I mean, a lot of the stuff that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah but there was a Star Trek RPG before Modiphius got their hands on the license. And there was a Star Trek RPG before the people before oh, Modiphius. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like the whole you know, I am Anne Rice. I am going to sue you, the makers of. Blade for stealing my ideas. Oh, we, White Wolf, are going to sue you, Blade. And then no one goes, oh, and hello, I'm Bram Stoker. I'm going to sue the lot of you. Community was the first show that I saw, saw D&D on a TV program. That was a very good it was explanation. An, yeah, yeah, it was so good. And they played it a couple of times. And I was like, this sounds really interesting. That was like in my first year of uni. But that was like probably the first time that it was probably brought onto like... Like a real, like, not just talking about role playing because that's what Big Bang Theory did. They would just sat, someone would come in, they'd be like, What are you doing? Playing DD, and then the scene would cut. Yeah, the, and it was not even a, a very accurate depiction of right. how it happens because people were like, I don't just know. leaving. Yeah. But like, Community did like a whole episode about them just playing DD. And then one of them is playing a paladin, and it's the description I always use when I'm describing paladin. He's just like, a stupid wizard with a stupid name. And because he doesn't want to play, and they're like making it about his reconnection. So it was a really good depiction of how how it can mirror real life sometimes. Your view it's on Paladin is a bit. I love, <laughs> I love Miss and Paladin. I love Miss and Paladin. They, they, they don't have alignments anymore. Well, no, but um, Steph played a in my Changeling game recently, and in my All for One game. Uh, maybe talk about the characters you played in that. They were very different from what you usually play. So he wants you to talk about. His, stuff. his games, <laughs> yeah. his games. Yeah, so I usually play like a fighter kind of first front. I think Changeling was the furthest from anything I'd done before because I I hated Changelings when I was in not Changeling. What are they called? Hags. I, I hate hags. Don't get me started about <laughs> hags. So I I was very against Changeling. I was like, I'm just gonna play it, keep an open mind. So we. Designed a character that was very studious and what my paladin was meant to be, but never got there. Someone who just read all the time and who had all the knowledge, but none of the, like social skills to pass it on to anyone or convince anyone with what they were saying. And then all for one again. I'm not into historical settings. We were talking about it a little bit earlier, but I just don't like being tied down to a specific era or something that actually happened and something that went down in history. Like D&D is just this world and it could be anything and nothing at the same time. Whereas if you go, I'm setting a game in 16th century France, Paris, I'm like, that was a real place that existed. That's interesting because that's some discussions we had on the other episode and other show. And I'm looking into preparing at some point a, an episode about history and playing in, in history. And I find it Interesting when people said, "Oh yeah, but uh, oh, if you play in history, things happen, and you, it's a set setting." But there's so much unknown stuff, oh, yeah. and you can still have so much room to play. I play Game of Thrones, for instance, and 
you could play an entire province with 12 barons or whatever you never heard of them in Game of Thrones but Game of Thrones is big enough for yeah. them to be there and history I would like to play some Roman stuff and we could do a lot of things happen why not being impacted or affecting history I mean Vampire the Masquerade is a good example because you got big stuff which happens which sometimes you don't impact completely on that note there's actually Requiem for Rome which is a new Chronicles of Darkness game set within the decline of Rome mm. that has so much scope it's the end of the Roman era the empire's crumbling around you how do the, the kindred in the necropolis survive how do they carry on beyond the fall of Rome I think we got the situation I think the people in your game steal the food from other people I think they do I think they do <laughs> okay I forgot what I ordered and he came by with a sandwich it looked like a sandwich it is a sandwich it's a burger that's for sure it's a burger Ah, yeah, you ordered a sandwich, yeah. not a burger. Yeah. Okay. This is all starting to add up now. The dots are being connected. Just give me five minutes and I'll have it figured out. <laughs> Whose sandwich is that? Whose um, burger is that? I, I don't know what burger this is. I think this is yours. I don't think so. It was Burnt Ends something? Yeah. That is, that, that's, the that's, burnt, that's the Burnt Ends burger, right? Okay, we're going to have my burger and we have a, a little... Right. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> down the hangar of Moroquindy where Moroquindy's dwarven made steam zeppelin is. Can, can you imagine? You got craniums and sightseeing. Be careful of slippery surface. Don't join Moroquindy before your time. <laughs> yeah, the hangar is a voluminous space and yes, oddly there are hazard tape and kind of size. I mean, um, Black and Angus Dwarf is, is you know, shock of sort of red hair. He's wearing black, well, overall. Yeah, he's wearing black, black don't show the dirt. Uh, his face is kind of smirched with grease and oil. He's got his goggles up on his head. He's got big, thick leather gloves. Oh, you'd be, you'd be the guy sent by the boss then. Yes, we were sent here to hit the edge with a hammer. Yes, yes it is. Uh, yes. Okay, okay. I'm, yes. I'm not questioning this wisdom, but... This is serious business. Yeah, if... Everyone the, knows I'm the most trustworthy of people. Yeah, says the lady <laughs> with the demon heart. Do we know that? Did you know that? Know what? You do now. Uh, you do You're now. the most trustworthy of people. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, I didn't... The whole of the ship has a sort of skeletal design it's dark wood with bones and the figurehead is a skeletal figure <laughs> okay so um, is it flying a black flag <laughs> 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 we just killed yeah, like bronze <laughs> oh, no no no, no. silver arm with right. crossbones. Yeah, this led to some confusion when <laughs> we travelled between cities. Is this why it's in repair? As last time it got slightly mistaken for something else. Possibly. <laughs> we do realise we got a branding issue and we've been in touch with the people hey, of hey, the... Hey, there are gnomes for the right place that can sort your branding issue out. It's like, damn those pirates stealing our brand. <laughs> they don't respect anything. <laughs> okay, so... I can take the hammer, so what was it? By the power of this hammer, repair thing was anything, yeah. smack it with it. As you swing, a mighty swing, and you impact the generator, this strange silver box that sits at the back of the ship, sort of coughs, splutters into life, <laughs> belches out a massive cloud of butter, and the holy black smoke. This is good omen. It, it is. works! 
it today. Probably oh. hand this back to the game. Yeah, um, I'll get it back to the basket. <laughs> Be careful with that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you don't want to repair something by mistake. Right, I'll, I'll get the hangar doors open for you. Um, does any of you know how to fly that thing? She does. Oh, well, it's a case of it. How hard can it be? She's right above. Okay, no, we've decided. I've also got a pirate hat for this. Um, he goes off to a control box and starts pulling levers. It's like a signal You need to have a hat for every occasion. Oh, big is that thing? So the steamship is the size of a medium-sized galleon. Think something about the size of the Cutty's Ark. I shall walk the, up the, the gangplank. I'm going to head up as well. There's two decks to the ship, the top deck, and then there's a below deck where there are cannon ports that have their doors shut currently. It occurs to me that maybe we should hire someone else, because when we jump on the ship, who's going to be flying this? I can go and get the skeleton crew. Ooh, <laughs> that sounds go for it. appropriate. And it's somehow heretical. <laughs> uh, no, he whistles, and from a series of cupboards, doors open, and yes, skeletons in black robes. Do they have like a little sign which says, approved by Moira Crendy on the front? <laughs> Regi- registered undead. <laughs> yes, yeah, they have black sashes. Remember, Shield, those are unionized. There's nothing wrong with them. Yes, they, they... We can't kill them, the union will cause too much problems. <laughs> you don't want to get into it with undead lawyers, man. Ex-human resources. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so there, there is indeed a skeleton crew, and they salute you, and then they shuffle off up, up the gangplank. I just want to ask, C2, isn't that kind of going against everything about your religion? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said vaguely heretical. It's a form of punishment, actually. But this way, they got the chance to redeem themselves in the eyes of Morak Wendy. You guys are weird. I'm just heads on up. <laughs> People just think Moraquendi is a one-shade type of uh, deity. Uh, it's not the case at all. There's very different shades to our beliefs. The hangar doors are now fully open. You can feel the wind rushing. I mean, you're, you're quite a way up the cathedral. Okay, so, um, in which case, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a tiger by its toe. If it's going to go eeny, meeny, miny... Push. <laughs> okay, you've, you've, got, you've, got, you've got the, the standard wheel, but in the control room there are a number of panels that have buttons and levers. There is a leather, almost pristine, leather-bound volume on a lectern just to one side. Owner's manual reads the title. I mean, how hard can it be? <laughs> okay, then... Oh. So you should roll um, jack of all trades. Yes, you should roll jack of all trades. <laughs> I'm probably at the front. On the prow. Yeah, brushing my fuman shoes. That's a one. That was yeah. a natural one, wasn't it? Yes, yes, it was. Okay, you do the classic reverse. <laughs> no, no, you're going the wrong uh, uh, way. Wrong way. Other way. Pull it back. <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> not that far back. <laughs> Literally, Angus gets blasted with. The exhaust of the ship <laughs> literally rockets. Uh, can I have dex checks from, the, from everybody, please? That's the whale. Yeah. <laughs> Standard DC is 20. Oh, 19. 18. 23. Okay, you're fine. You manage to grab onto something, but you're sort of, sort of as you sort of pitch over the, as, as the thing rushes forward. See, that wasn't so bad. Are you going to sort of, you know, kind of like move it so we get some height? And yeah, then... yeah. You start, you start to climb. You can see Santa Cora spread out below you. So you can see the spire of the cathedral and the star shape of Santa Cora. 
I should go below and have a look and see what marvels are down. Down below, all the cannons are black. The ends of the cannons have sort of a, a skeletal head with the mouth open and the barrel juts out through the mouth. Cool. It's really unfair what those pirates do because I think our branding is very clear. <laughs> <laughs> it's on point, it's on message. There's no way. You really need to not respect anything to pretend they've been on to that before us. Well, have you asked if they're also followers? Yes, we did. And uh, The rumours about Cervantes, the Soul Flare, possibly the greatest undead pirate there has ever been, are getting worse. His band of pirates are raiding the Iron Sea coast. Quite a lot. But aren't they in a different ship to the one they used to be in? The Flayed Soul, the name of his ship, is a sort of thing, you know, the Black Pearl kind of-esque pirate ship it's definitely manned by worse things than skeletons and zombies <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> see we explain that to each other for more knowledge and then you see skeletons manning the different stuff on the deck like it has nothing to do with our visual it's manned by skeletons and These all manner of monstrous creatures like <laughs> no 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 those are sanctioned those are unionized <laughs> Ah, the politics of the cathedral. Okay, so we had our sandwich. uh, (laughs) I had part of my sandwich. (laughs) I did not eat the sandwich. I ate chips. It's all I ate. It was a very good burger. Odyssea, what can you tell me of the birth of Phoenix Games Club? Oh, wow. Oh, tell us what you picture it was like. Okay, so I picture one day in a dark winter, a man arriving at a pub and declaring, yes, this will be the place in which I shall host many tabletop RPG games, and they will be fantastic games. But he had no players, and so he had to go and find friends friends that would come and recruit more friends but time passed the man grew older his friends grew older (laughs) and there were not as many new people coming in so they had to expand to the internet and upon the internet they placed a phoenix games club website where they plotted all of their games forthcoming for the rest of the half of the year and people could look and be in wonder of the games upcoming and say, I too wish to be in the Phoenix Game Club. (laughs) I wish to attend these games that they are playing in the next quarter, and I shall be a part. And so they came for the games days. And not all stayed, but few did, and they recruited their (laughs) friends, and they recruited their friends, and so on, and we are at the present day. How about that? Okay, cool, cool. But uh, actually, in reality, you more often go to Roleplay Heaven nowadays. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, no. um, I I merely volunteer. Yeah, I love GMing, and and when Gary posted the advert, I was just like, yeah, I'll have a chance to spread the good word and GM with a different group of people. So, but was that accurate, is it? You started that? No, I didn't start the Phoenix ah. Games Club. As I was a long, long time ago, in the in the mists of time, there was the Guild of Melee and Magic. The Guild of Melee and Magic dissolved after, for reasons unknown to myself, 
and the remnant of the East London branch of the Guild of Melee and Magic became the Phoenix Games Club. So it was a multi-branch club. It was club. a multi-branch thing. I, and the people that founded the Phoenix originally met in the Eddy in Stratford. They were in the Bow Bells for a while. Would you say that uh, Phoenix was born of the ashes of Melee and Magic? Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, let's go whole hog and go for the cliche. Yeah, why not? And the cliche has now come full circle because the, the Phoenix Games Club reborn with its new logo, new banners, is rising from the ashes of the old club. With new members, new GMs, new people, fresh blood, fresh meat. Steph, what is it like being a... What do you call a member of the Phoenix game? Are you Phoenixes? Are you Phoenix are game? members. Well, just a you member. should work on that, maybe. <laughs> well, maybe we should. But, you know, we're... we're like, if you listen to my show, you're a realist, you know? Well, if you are listening to Critical Role, you're critters. critters. I know they're critters, because I follow sure. Critical Role on Facebook. All right, maybe they're Phoenixes. Maybe they're Phoenixlings? Whatever. What do you call a baby Phoenix? Phoenixlings? A tiny Phoenix. There's a flash of blue light. Appearing on the deck is... As I appear, she's a bit caught off guard. There's slight jolts. Instead of coming in gracefully, she's sort of like that. Hair, which is very long, very blonde. She's still dressed in her royal regalia. She's just come from the palace to the mage tower and then to here. And she suddenly prestidigitizes into her more appropriate clothing, which is a purplish robe which goes right down we're very well fitting she is absolutely stunning she's a high elf a stupidly high elf so the ears are really long not grasp this uh, Millie you're late I'm regretfully sorry it's a terrible <laughs> diplomatic I haven't figured out how to fly this thing yet first time's charm oh well as the ship heads out, you can, you can see in the distance this upside down stepped pyramid and there are things circling it. We have these devices ah, downstairs that seem to be some sort of powered by magic and as I don't really understand that sort uh, of thing. Then I need to do a check to make sure I know about these things. 24. These are Dwarf King made magic cannons. The reservoir needs to be filled with arcane power. Mm-hmm. They are then discharged using a small wand-like device that you touch to a depression at the back of the cannon, and that would cause the magical energy to be fired out. What I'll do is I'll recharge this for you, and then you take this, and then you tap it there, yeah. and, you, and when, once you've got a target, i.e. not when it's pointing down into the hull. I was well, thinking no, the, You've got three cannon on each side, they're set onto runners, and they're lashed by ropes. Using the power of the arcane and electrical plasma forces within me, I go and charge up the cannon. As Melisande draws the magical energy from herself, you see what looks like blue energy leech in, and the gem just starts to softly glow. As the ship gets closer to the ziggurat, you can spot these stony creatures with massive wings. They're covered in lichen and moss. There's lots of them. And as the ship starts, they start to fly out towards the ship. Can everyone roll their initiative, please? Uh, 29. 29, Alan. Bring it up the rear, 23. Uh, that's 33. I got the 36. Okay, so top of the round. What do you do? Some of them dive towards the deck of the boat. As I see the creatures approaching, I turn towards the other and say, it seems like we have company, and I 
unfold a set of three kunais and I throw a first one towards okay. one of the creatures. Make an attack, which is d20 plus your dex modern level. Okay, natural 20. Damage, because I'm AC 24. 21, 31. Your kunai flies, whistling through the air, literally smashes into uh, the eye one of the gargoyles. And as it spins, it sort of rights itself and flies back to the pyramid, perches upside down, and the vegetation just absorbs it. Okay, John. I'll waste one of my crossbow. Two. I think that's a uh, That's gonna... That just pings whew. off. Andy's next. I'm going to get out my weapon, which is a loot, and strike some chords at it. Play some power chords. Because that's a 19. Yeah, you hit. 22 damage. One of them takes a hit, but keeps coming for the boat. Her Royal Highness. Royal Highness looks outside. They said there's lots of these little fuckers coming to it. We're talking yes. All you say suddenly from me is saying, I will cast this formula upon me. Dagger, 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 dagger. As this full salvo pulse goes out towards our little friends. That's not very good. Target's my PD. Seven, my PD's um, 21. Just a hit. 20. 41 to the first target. Okay, it flies back to the pyramid. 43 to the second target. That also flies back to the pyramid. Magic Gatling gun for the win. 47 for the third target. Yeah, that's all. Okay, that's three of them back at the pyramid. And 31. Back to the pyramid. 41. <laughs> 39. It's not a hit, it's a natural one. So suddenly, all you're seeing is. As it's a natural one, Melisander, she's got one, she's levitating slightly in the air, but she suddenly loses her balance, as she has to, and she lands on her ass. <laughs> that was one kickback. My turn. Three of the creatures land on the deck of the ship. One in front of Her Royal Highness, one in front of you, one in front of you. Okay, versus Her Royal Highness. Does 25 beat your AC? It does. The gargoyle lands in front of Melisander and with its stony, clawed hands makes three very quick slashing attacks. Doing what? Um, The first one hits you for nine damage, the other two don't. Andy, one does land in front of you. Uh, Does 20 beat your AC? No. Okay. Versus John. Oh, nat 20. 29 versus your AC, which I believe is a That's hit. That's just a hit. The gargoyle that lands in front of John, please take 36 damage. Okay. As the gargoyle literally just massive, powerful blow as it smashes into the armour, and then again with another attack. Its third attack is a bit where you can just sort of scratch it across the paintwork. Versus Mr. Monk. Uh, that's 17 versus your AC. That's the gargoyle's turn. The escalation dice enters play. You have... A plus one to all attacks, but not to damage. Uh, back to the top of the round. You see Sue making a Taishi kind of motion, sending like a crane on one leg. And as he goes for a jab against the creature in front of him, his eyes turn bright white as he's calling upon the power of Heaven's Thunder. To hit. 18 versus AC. Uh, no, you miss. Uh, John. I shall hit the one right in front of me okay. with my enormous sword. It's not the size of your weapon, it's where you stick it. The 20. Natural 20. Natural 20. That is going to be a crit. Yes, but he hurt me, I shall hurt him back. Please roll damage. Double everything. Yeah, add it all up and just double what you've... 82 damage. I take my longsword and swing as hard as I can, catch it just on the neck between the shoulder and the collarbone and just sort of slice him in two. 
as a sound of shattering stone as the gargoyle just disintegrates under your mighty swing. Alan! Oh, sorry, Andy. Uh, what do I feel like doing? Uh, no, I'll battle shot it again. Striking another chord. Taking our MD, 14. Uh, well, I rolled a 12, so that's going to hit. Yeah, it's going to hit. So, 10, then 41. The one in front of you will stagger backwards and fly off back to the ziggurat, where it once again gets enveloped by the plant. Come back! <laughs> Not uh, oh. yet. I pull out this magic arrow, acid and stone. 28. So here, this arrow comes out of nowhere. You would enjoy our today's little uh, homemade acid drops. The one in front of the monk. 80. Melisander conjures forth a bow and deftly fires off this bile green acid arrow. It impacts into the gargoyle and it just eats through it like a hot knife going through butter. And it just, the torso just rocks back and literally leaves a pair of hunched legs. Uh, Oh, it's the two new gargoyles. One versus the monk. Miss. And versus John. Oh, dear. Another 20. Another one. Another one. Oh, hello. So, uh, I'm going to activate that. So, is this Uh, a bard ability? No, this is is a tiefling tiefling ability. Oh, oh, nice. Tiefling ability mixed with certain feats. I'm going to go for a weird one. Okay. He can only attack while he's upside down. The gargoyle in front of you sort of flaps and tries to fly upside down in front of you whilst clawing at you ineffectually. Okay. Uh, we go We go back to the top of the round. Mr. Monk, sir. I'm going to try to grab the gargoyle by its throat, use that to spin myself around and end up while still facing my own gargoyle back to back with a shield. Okay, make the attack. So dancing like a mantis. This dice is better. It's much better. It's nice dice. Okay, <laughs> so that would be 27. That's a hit. That's a jab, so it's d8. 21. Yeah, 25. You, you strike it, and as you spin round, it lifts itself off into the uh-huh. air, lands on the ziggurat, and gets enveloped. Come on, John, finish him off. I'll try my best. Back to back with me, shield. Oh, a hit, I believe. 17. Plus yeah. four. Yes, a solid hit. Roll damage. 35 damage. It flies off back to the ziggurat. The other gargoyles don't seem to be bothering you, but these these few did. Your ship is now over the base of the ziggurat. There's a little clearing, and the skeletons position a weird cannon thing, and they fire it, and what looks like a chunky spike gets shot into that clearing and they drop um, rope ladders over the sides right I'll run down one of the rope ladders you land and you're in a bamboo clearing there's bamboo and there's a path that leads off through the bamboo but you'll need to find a way in so Steph what is it like being a tiny phoenix <laughs> I don't know, embers or... Embers? No, that that makes them sound like... No, sparks? Yeah, that'd be good, I'd say. That's not too bad. Phoenix sparks. We're really rich now. That's kind of cool. We'll cross that bridge. That sounds like something that should be discussed at an AGM. Do we get team jerseys? I am down. Varsity jackets. I repeat, varsity jackets. 
So Steph, besides the Bassy Jackets, what is it like being a Phoenix Park? It's really fun. How did you hear about Phoenix Game Club? So uh, through real life people walking the earth, it's really weird. You, you mean AFK people? <laughs> yeah. That's horrible. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really fun. I'm now in the professional working world. So it's really good on a Thursday night just to come and chill out for a few hours, a few drinks, a few friends. It's just a really fun way to de-stress for me, which is why I could never be a GM because that would involve a lot of planning and stressing. You'll get there one day, you'll be alone in a corner of the world without <laughs> a GM next to you and it will be your turn to become one. <laughs> I will just have to make it up as I go along. Actually, GMing's not as... The, the, my route into GMing was I wrote my own system and GMed that. Right. He's bullshitting you. GMing is not hard. It's, it's, a, it's a confidence thing. No, and... and Kind of, but like the whole just like having to lead a group, I think, is the most stressful. There'll be times during a game where I do turn off. No, no, it's no, not no good. But it's not trendy. You're not to lead the group as the GM. You are supposed to have a, an emerging narration, an emerging world, <laughs> and share agency, which is going to free time, <laughs> and it's much easier to master. I think what Jeremy's trying to say is you, you don't lead the group, you facilitate right. what the group want to do. It's like being the leader in a team-building activity. It's more tiring. <laughs> Railroad them, it's much easier. I will say, having had to GM from the get-out with this, you don't have to plan as much as you think you do. <laughs> Because I overplanned and we got through a quarter of the things that I planned. Also, the key thing to remember is the plan never survives first contact with the player base. You can plan for every coincidence you think they will do, but I guarantee you there is always that one player that goes, no, instead of going to point A, we're going to go to point B. B or C or D. But it's like driving. If you're driving, you're only one car on the road out of 50, but you need to keep being aware and react whereas if you're playing in a in a team of six you can rely on your teammates to kind of support you when you're a bit down when you're feeling a bit low energy someone else is there to pick it up and stuff like that someone else will write notes yeah. for you which I do not do and that's why we die in games you seem to be a very supportive player at the table <laughs> I don't know if that's our guess ah, I bring something what that you is. You definitely bring something to the table and the times you've been in my games, it's been a lot of fun. The, the All For One game we just played, you were absolutely fantastic. But what's All For One? It's not, it's not named after you, right? No, 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 no. All For, All for One Regime Diabolique is a game... Ah, Regime Diabolique. Yes. It's a game set in 17th century France. Play as members of the Musketeers. But of course the game can go to other parts of the world. I took my players from Paris all the way to the dizzying heights of Transylvania and Castle Cholomance, having to get rid of a, a cursed diamond that our enterprising thief acquired in a dark castle. Odyssey, what can you tell us about Phoenix Games Club? So Phoenix Games Club, I haven't been able to go there that often, if I'm very honest, because they meet on Thursdays and I have rehearsal for my show on Thursdays up until April. So after that, I'll be able to go back. But the games that I've managed to play there have generally been fun. I have played 13th Age, Changeling. Oh, we played Paranoia. Oh, yeah. Paranoia was great. That was very good. Uh, the new one or the old one? The new one. Ah, I, I got a nice couple <laughs> episodes with the author. You should check it, check it out. I will, I will. 
Dan does not do a good job extolling other people's work, so I have no idea what this podcast is <laughs> what called. What do you mean by that? <laughs> I don't know what this podcast so is called. Dan is just left the, the, the table for a second, and I've got, uh, I got the Phoenix Parks immediately being like, okay, we've got stuff we need to say about... Go ahead, go ahead. It's not stuff to say about Dan. It's just, um, I don't know what this podcast is named. I just got asked to be here. So <laughs> What, really? You did not even send a link. Like, hey, maybe you, if oh, you I've want. On, I've just seen it being linked to the Phoenix webpage, Facebook page. Thanks webpage. for promoting the show, Dan. I'm sorry. You seem to deposit the link. I've shared it around a bit. What? I, don't, I have no control over what our members look at on Facebook or on the internet. You invited those two sparks and you did not even told her what was the name of the show. <laughs> so? <laughs> Shrek. <laughs> so you were saying... <laughs> Going to the games club is fun, in a way. It, it's not that far from where I live as well, so it's convenient, which is always nice to have. It's in place too, right? Yeah, which I can take the overground to, so it's not that difficult for me. Dan, do you have anything to add about Phoenix Games Club? Not really. I mean, we are on the look. Yeah, it'd be nice to have some, some new faces along. So we meet in the Black Lion pub on Plasto High Street on a Thursday night. We start around 8 o'clock in the evening, although most of us are in the pub from 6.37ish. We run a, a 50-week yeah. gaming calendar. It's a very good bar. The only pub in London that I have found that serves gravy, which being from the north is a big selling point for me. What do you mean to sell gravy? So, uh, gravy is not a thing in London, unless you mean like gravy granules, which is not real gravy. Okay, no, yeah. Okay, not, not real gravy. Like, if I would come to a pub like we're sat in now, I would love to have just some chips and gravy. Okay. It's a classic northern meal. I'm also from Eastern Europe, and gravy's not a thing in Eastern Europe, so this is a thing I've adopted by moving into this country. So the Black Lion pub is the only pub that serves gravy in London that I have found. If you know of any more, please do contact me on the webpage, and I will I put your just put it on the Google Twitter handles, yeah. etc. Because I I love me some gravy, <laughs> um, so I do appreciate the Black Lion pub. This episode included The Magic Art of the Great Humbug and The Deadly Poppy Field by Francesco Letera, Crying Earth by Kai Engel, Beast but Not Least by Ex Takeru, and of course Sota of Frango or Theme Song by Bonded Roll. It also included Amber Temple and Lost City of Omu, two background by the Sword Coast Soundscapes. The Rollis Podcast is a pod member of the RPG Academy Network. Our logo is designed by Rollin Kunz. As mentioned at the beginning of this episode, this episode was dedicated to the memory of Alan, who was playing Melisande in the actual play section. Sadly, Alan left us and the Phoenix Games Club last summer. I will include a little link in the description of the episode uh, if you want to make a donation to support uh, research against cancer. I would like to thank Simon for joining the role is supporting the show via Patreon. As a reminder, if you join our Patreon, you will have access to a bonus show, Café Rollist. And this month, you will also have access to an extended version of this episode's actual play. There will be a second part next month, but uh, there was a lot uh, I had to edit out to fit in one episode. It's already a a long episode as it is. But if you want to 
here what I might have removed, here what it sounds like without the music, etc. Well, you can head to Patreon and you will have access to this as well as, uh, again, Café Rollist or Bonus Show with Akadosh. In Café Rollist today, we recorded a new episode. We talked about the stream show I recently joined, which is part of Encounter Roleplay. It's each Friday at 5 p.m. EST or 10 p.m. GMT, and we are playing a new version of Actung Tulu, 2D20 version, which is still in development. And uh, yeah, that's quite a, a cool game with um, Prit, Shona, Susanna Grace, Virginia, and the Game Master is Sam Webb from Modifius and Black Cats Gaming. And I think it's quite a good game, and you can catch it either live on Twitch, on the Encounter Roleplay, or you can also watch it with a couple weeks delay on YouTube. I will include a link in the show notes. Another way to support the show is via leaving a review on iTunes or Podchaser, and I'm very happy that someone left a new one this month. It's by Bruce C 75 and if you leave a review like I'm about to do, I will read it on the show. So here we go. Thanks, Bruce C75. A fun RPG podcast. I love listening to Rollist. The host is obviously passionate about the hobby and keen to include all aspects from tiny indie games to the big names in the industry. I just wish it lose the quotation mark filler music tracks which mar most episodes, in my opinion. Thank you, Bruce. Well, the filler music tracks, it's kind of a... It's a controversial thing. Some people love it, some people hate it. So even from the beginning of the show, I've been wondering about that. It's like, it's just like pineapple on pizza or fourth edition D&D. Some people love it, some people dislike it. But I won't remove them, but I will keep your comment in mind and make sure to pick some which are not uh, excessively long. It's been the case in some episodes, but um, now I try to limit them. So it's short tracks and it feels a bit... It, Set the mood. Uh, sorry, you. You're another big fan of that. But thank you so much for your review on iTunes. That means uh, the world to me. Maybe if you catch this episode, you will have time to join us on February 4th for next month's Ludrings and Dice, which now is moved to the first Monday of the month. People advise us that it might be more attractive to be joined by people as people just got paid. It will be at the Tank and Paddle again February 4th on Monday and it's from 7pm but I might be there a bit earlier and as usual there will be a link in the description of this episode so that's it for this month see you next month for the second part of our actual play an interview with Phoenix Film Club another thing for you to find a link towards in the description of the episode see you then and in the meantime have good games Nós é tipo bem Jesus, todo mundo a gente ama Ainda mais se for gatinha, rola até levar pra cama A gente topa tudo, sapatão e bigodudo Na hora do piriri, cai em mim outra vesti Vai batuque! Rolê! 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 Solta o frango e vem com a gente Rolê! 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 Solta o frango e vem com a gente.
Mais, mais c'est toi, mon frère. Je te croyais mort. Mais qui es-tu Parle je suis Iki, le chevalier phénix. La chaleur de tes flammes m'a ranimé. À présent, une deuxième vie s'offre à moi.